You're listening to Sailing Into Oblivion Podcast. Hello, this is your host, Jerome Rand, and welcome to the first episode of the Jerome Rand Podcast about sailing or attempting to sail around the Americas uh, solo and without stopping aboard my 32-foot sailboat, Mighty Sparrow. So I just wanted to take a minute to give you a little rundown on what I was attempting, the trip, and also what to expect from the podcast. So this summer in July 2020, I was attempting to take off from Rockland, Maine and sail all the way around the Americas. So through the Northwest Passage, up above Canada, down the Pacific, round Cape Horn in South America, and then back up the Atlantic. Uh, That's a trip of about 25,000 miles and should have taken about eight or nine months. And I was going to do it without stopping anywhere, um, no anchoring, anything like that, and obviously doing it alone. Uh, That was the intention. And as you go through and listen more, you'll find out exactly what happened. But basically, long story short, I get stuck in the Atlantic for 88 days and trying basically to get back during one of the busiest hurricane seasons uh, ever recorded. So not what I wanted to do, but an adventure to say the least. Uh, how this podcast is going to work, I'm, I basically recorded uh, every week or so, about 20 minutes, and I'm going to weave two of those sessions together, give a little commentary uh, after each one now that I can look back and I've had time to think about, you know, what was going on and and uh, my mind state at the at the time so that's basically it hopefully you guys will enjoy it this first one first episode really is takes place before i leave so uh, about two weeks before i leave and then just a couple days before i leave after that uh, if you want to skip ahead go to the second episode because that's where basically all takes place out on the water So I hope you guys enjoy it, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and uh, welcome aboard. This is Jerome Rand uh, aboard the Mighty Sparrow, and this is going to be sort of the first edition of the the podcast for the upcoming adventure I've dubbed American Salt. And right now we're sitting on the hard here in Rockland, Maine at a little place called Knights Marine, and uh, just doing the final preparations. I've got about a week before I head out to sea and start my way north up to the Northwest Passage for the first big, uh, I guess you'd call it uh, roadblock or speed bump in my adventure. And uh, after that, then it's on to the vast Pacific. But uh, I figured I would just want to... I don't know, give an update, see, you know, try and figure out a way to explain what the heck's going on and where I want to go and what I want to do. So here it goes, really. This is the first first podcast where I haven't been interviewed, and I guess i got to come up with all the information on my own. So I'll try and keep it accurate, <laughs> try and keep it interesting. But uh, it is a little difficult right now. I mean, my mind is going to... A thousand different places, but uh, before I get ahead of myself, so all right, so 
2017 and 2018, I took off on Mighty Sparrow, my West Sail 32, and sailed around the world. So I, I left from Gloucester down the Atlantics, across the Indian Ocean, across the Pacific Ocean, back up the Atlantic. So it was about 29,800 miles, and it took about 271 days to complete that trip. So it was one of the few uh, of those those sort of circumnavigations done on on such a small boat, and it was it was uh, it was an interesting trip. A lot of things went wrong, a lot of things went right. I was very lucky in a lot of ways, and I was able to make it. And uh, actually, two years ago, I think today or yesterday was when I actually got back. So I've only been back on land for two years, and now I'm fixing to set sail in a week and head on out of here again. Um, so it's it's all sort of coming in into a close. So I, you know, my intention in the beginning was to to go through the Northwest Passage into the Pacific and basically circumnavigate the Americas. Uh, I wanted to do this, you know, by myself and uh, and without stopping. So the only roadblock as COVID-19 came into to place, then the Canadians shut down the Northwest Passage to pleasure craft and other craft, so, you know, to try and protect the the indigenous populations up there. Smart move. I mean, you know, they, they're so far removed, why, why bring it up to them? So they did have a little caveat in there for anybody that wanted to do what's called an innocent passage or an innocent transit, which basically means that you're you're going to be passing through another country's territorial waters, but you don't intend to stop. And that was my intention from the get-go. So after emailing back and forth with the Canadians, eventually I was given permission to do this trip. All I have to do is check in with one of their agencies uh, twice a day once I'm up there. And, you know, to tell you the truth, that's, that's sort of a nice thing, just knowing that somebody else is watching your, your back while you're up there. Because from what I understand, the ice is, is pretty pretty scary and pretty uh, dangerous up there. So I've, I've done a fair amount of research. You know, there's there's always more I can read and more that I can learn. But... You know, in the end, you're going to get up there and you're going to have to deal with the year that I'm doing it. You know, it's always going to be a little bit different. There's no there's no set like the ice is going to be this way because last year it was this way and da da da. It's 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 more of you just got to see what happens. And, you know, I've been watching it and, you know, we've had these huge record temperatures up in the Arctic normally or mostly over Siberia, but you know, still it's all wrapped up in one really up there. If it heats up in one part of the Arctic, the water gets warmer and the ice melts. And, you know, as, as much as I would like to see some of the climate change, you know, not be happening at such an accelerated rate for, for this trip, I'm sort of keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that uh, we get a big ice melt up there and, and the passage is, is fairly wide open and even possibly get a little bit of wind so that I can sail through a decent amount of it. But uh, we'll just have to see how that goes, really. I'm trying not to focus too much on it yet because I, you know, I'll be setting sail here again next week, sometime first week of July 2020. And I'm taking off from Maine, hoping to do a shakedown sail down to Gloucester. But if the winds aren't right, then... I'm just going to take off from here, and uh, I've got the Labrador Sea, then I've got 
the Davis Strait along Greenland, uh, all the way up to Baffin Bay. And, you know, those are pretty treacherous waters. It's not a place that I really would want to uh, head into normally. I mean, I'm a, I'm a trade wind sailor. I like it to be warm. I like the winds to be light and consistent. And that is pretty much the opposite of where I'm heading now. But, you know, if, if you want to get to the Pacific from, from the Atlantic and you want to do it the northern route, you got to go through this. And, uh, yeah, so the last, the last two, three, three weeks almost, I've been up here in Rockland. I, I sailed up with the old Appalachian Trail buddy of mine, Bo Jangles. He and I set sail from Buford, South Carolina, and we had a great eight and a half, nine days sailing in the Gulf Stream, cruising along, great weather, great wind. I, I almost, I, I feel like I spoiled him really because, you know, he got in, He we, we got in here and he, he's saying, you know, he wants to look for a boat and all this sort of stuff. And I had to pull him aside and say, hey man, listen, it is not normally that good for that long, you know, especially along the Eastern seaboard with the Gulf Stream. Typically you're going to get your butt kicked at least once. Uh, and we just didn't have that. It was it was fantastic and uh, really, really uh, made me want to get back out to sea. And even though I've been planning this trip for a long time, it, it was a good, a good little benchmark, a good taste to really, you know, make me want to get back out there. And plus, it was a good, good shakedown sail. It was a thousand miles um, and we were able to, I was able to just see the sparrows still in, in, in really great shape and, and ready to go and everything. So, so we sailed up here and we got into Maine. It was really foggy and all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's been foggy here for days, just raining and raining. Everything is just a mess, mud and dirt. It's all over the boat. Um, I basically have been working for the boatyard for the past three weeks to help pay for, you know, all these supplies and everything. And then also hopefully take a dent out of my yard bill because I've been hauled out for the last week or so. But um, pretty much at this point, after, I don't know, 10, 10 trips to the grocery store, I was doing it a little different than last time. So last time everything was, uh, you know, I'd go there and I'd spend all this money and buy all this food. And this time I just said, okay, well, I have a couple weeks, so I'm going to go to the grocery store every single day and just spend, you know, half an hour in there, get one shopping cart full and bring it back. And and that actually helped a lot. You know, I, I watched as the supply just got bigger and bigger. I was able to calculate it a lot easier. And I believe the goal was to have enough food for 400 days. And I think I've exceeded that pretty well. You know, I if uh, if anybody's out there is red sailing into oblivion, you know that uh, I've, I've basically, I ran out of food on the last one. And my calculations were way off. And on this trip, you know, obviously I've learned quite a bit about how to calculate and what, what an actual meal is. So I've, I think I've gone way above and beyond to the point where I, you know, I could probably be out there for 500 days, to tell you the truth. And I got enough coffee to kill a horse and creamer as well, because I like a little cream in my coffee. Uh, not a lot of the normal stuff that I brought last time as far as, you know, a month or two of regular food, as you could say. So, you know, bacon and eggs and all sorts of stuff. I'm sort of foregoing that and just gonna, you know, mostly for weight. And also I don't want to use a refrigerator. That's my biggest power draw on this boat. So 
I want that to be shut down so my batteries are always charged up and uh, I only have to run a couple of things. Mighty Sparrow is a pretty simple, simple craft. You know, I don't have an autopilot. I don't have a lot of the things that uh, modern yachts usually take out to sea. Typically, they break, and I don't have the budget for it. And I do all this sort of stuff unsponsored because I like to keep it keep it pure, you know, <laughs> as best as I can. To my own detriment, though, um, I actually turned down a grant from from uh, an organization, a big sailing organization, and uh, you know, even though they the grants are great, it's fantastic. I just couldn't see myself really diving into that direction i you know not that i don't appreciate it by any means but i these trips you know i don't i I don't do these trips for you know for recognition or anything like that i'm just i this is what i enjoy doing i like going out there and I, i like sort of finding my limits and I really enjoy the ocean world, especially right now, because it's basically the only COVID-free zone on the planet. So when we were sailing up here from South Carolina, you didn't even think about it. After two days, it was a distant memory. And then as soon as we got within cell phone range and, and all that sort of stuff, all of a sudden it came hurtling back at us. So, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out there. And sort of getting away from taking a break from from all the stuff that's going on, but uh, yeah. So sitting on the boat another night, and gotta get up tomorrow five thirty, start work, hauling boats, moving moving uh, other people's boats for them, and hopefully it won't be raining again like it has been for the last couple days. But once that's finished, then I start hopping on Sparrow and, and working on Sparrow and getting her ready and then take my trips to whatever stores I need. But I think shopping is almost completely done. You know, I gotta, I do have to find a pair of ski goggles, and I'm hoping I can get those at maybe Goodwill or something like that because it's summertime, so there's not a lot of ski shops open, and somehow i overlooked it and i left those at home and i definitely need them you know when you're in the high latitudes you get hail storms and snowstorms, and you just you have to have your eyes totally covered when a big squall comes in and you know things turn into bb's so that's one of my big oversights so far other than that it's it's pretty much uh you know getting just a couple other little things and launching the boat next week get her all fueled up i have uh capacity for about 60 70 gallons in the tanks and then i have a 200 gallon fuel bladder probably get a jerry can or two so that uh as far as my calculations go i've got about a range you know of about 2000 to 2500 miles depending on you know how hard i push the engine which this this boat has uh, 50 horsepower Perkins, so she doesn't need much to get her up to her hull speed of about four four and a half knots uh, under motor, and that that's nice because it cuts down on the gas usage or the fuel usage and makes it. Uh, I think it just takes it easy on the engine, but every once in a while I'll wind it up. I've been told to do that, but uh, you know not not very often. Normally just just cruise, but. Yeah, so that's sort of where my head's at at this point. You know, I I I doubt I'm actually going to start this this whole podcast series off with this. 
and but you know I'll, I'll throw it in as a supplement at some point you know my my game plan with with this podcast is to be able to do an hour or so close to an hour you know once a week while I'm out there if all goes well and I'm out there for an entire year on this voyage then I'll uh I'll have a year's worth of podcast to be able to put out and hopefully it will give some pretty good insight to what it's what it's like uh, when you're out there for that long and also sort of what happens to you. You know, you guys can be the judge because right now I interact with people every day, uh, pretty much what you would call normal. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Once I get out to sea, I, I, I would suppose you guys will probably be able to see or hear uh, a little bit of you know, me changing, uh, ever so slightly. I know when I look back on the videos from the first trip, you know, some of the stuff that I shot on day 220 all the way through to the end, uh, definitely got a little bit strange that's for sure. But I think that's pretty much, uh, to be expected. So, you know, other than that though, um, I guess we could go through just a few of the, the essentials on board. So I, I was able to procure a few extra sails from uh, a part of the West Sail family, Mark, you know who you are. And uh, so, oh, actually, I don't know if it's Mark. It might be Mike. Darn it. All right. Well, anyway, you know who you are. Very, very helpful. Hooked me up with some some really nice sails, and uh, those will go into the quote-unquote quiver uh, that I have on board. And so I've got a lot of sails. My older brother, Sven, he he got a bunch of the, the, the sails repaired for me, which were the originals that I went through the Southern Ocean on. So those were the, the brand-new sails that were built for the boat. The rest of them are all used. I have a sewing machine on board, so... That basically takes care of all them, you know, as, as I go and I tear them and they wear out, I'm able to, to sort of keep them up, but that's going to be my sort of power plant, so to speak. And then obviously I have the engine. The engine's going to be mostly really crucial for the Northwest Passage. After that, I'm just hoping that I'll have enough fuel to be able to run the engine once every two weeks, um, you know maybe top up the batteries or really it's it's mostly just to keep the engine moving you know uh, an engine that sits and doesn't doesn't operate that that's that's an engine that's dying so i like to try and run it just for like 10 15 minutes get it all the way up to temperature and then shut it down so if i'm able to do that that'll be great and it also you know if i can keep 5 gallons or or whatever of fuel just in case of an emergency, you know, I, I definitely had a pretty, pretty scary experience with a tanker in the doldrums last, last time after I'd run out of fuel and dead, dead become just, just floating there. And this big sucker comes over the horizon and there was nothing I could do. There was no way, uh, for me to move. Uh, I guess the only, the only option I had at that point was pretty much to jump off the boat and try and swim away from it. But you know, where would that have left me? So luckily they veered away at the last minute and uh, passed me about 200 feet off the side. But it was it was definitely scary. It was an eye-opener, you know. It was a, definitely a very helpless sort of feeling. So I'm hoping to be able to keep at least a little bit of fuel 
so that I always have that option of, of sort of getting out of the way. But, you know, uh, again, the game plan for this trip, head out from here, go up to the Northwest Passage, cut through, make it through there, head south through the Bering Sea, cut through the Aleutians, cross the Pacific from north to south, head down to Cape Horn, and then sort of depending, I guess, on, on the time of year, if I get down there in December or early January and everything is going well, then I think what I'm going to try and do is go around Antarctica until I reach Cape Horn again and then go ahead and head north up the Atlantics back to home. So that would be essentially uh, attempting the, the figure eight, you know, that Randall Reeves has completed in one one session took him about, I think it was 383 days, give or take. But um, he had to stop a few times, but just a, a feat beyond a feat. I mean, just the most epic sail you could ever think of, you know. And so, you know, if I could if I could go and, and add one more to it by doing it nonstop, then, then that's what I'd like to do. But I'm, I'm sort of putting this on as... You know, just just trying to go around the Americas because I I don't know it's going to be tough. You know, from Alaska to Cape Horn is like ten thousand miles, so I have no no want of being in the Southern Ocean anywhere near the winter time down there. And last time I rounded Cape Horn was April seventh, and it was already starting to show signs of becoming very lively down there. So if I can avoid doing that, I you know. I will, absolutely. But, you know, if the boat's doing well and food's holding out and I'm having fun, then, you know, I'll probably try and stay down there. But I don't know. It's uh, There's so much ocean to get to before that. I, I don't even try and contemplate it. But a trip around the Americas, solo and, and nonstop, would be pretty cool. I, I think that would... That would add some some pretty cool stories to the old repertoire, and uh, you know maybe maybe that would get the old ocean uh, bug out of my system, and and I could uh, settle down somewhere. I mean, I tell you, I I've had so much fun working in this yard, and it's it's been a real blessing in disguise. You know, all day long we're you know hauling boat stands, you know, all around the yard and and moving big blocks. So I'm actually getting sort of back in shape. You know, the last the last two years, really, all I've done is travel around and do presentations and try and sell books and things like that. And you know, unless you have the discipline to constantly you know hit the gym or do anything like that, it's it's you start getting pretty soft. I can feel it. I can feel land life sort of affecting me. And, you know, I'm, I'm like 41 or 42. And so it's, you know, it's just, it's a slippery slope out here. So I try, you know, try and feeling good right now. That's for sure. I, 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 my hands are just super calloused up from, you know, all that just lugging all that stuff around, which is great. I mean, they, they don't look like they looked when I, got out of the southern ocean but they they definitely they're they're rough so they're ready to go there's no need for gloves that's for sure but you know so i i was definitely lucky in that and um yeah it's just been it's one of those things you know i i i think back to the the weeks leading up to my last trip and i definitely remember you know i'd wake up in the morning and instantly 
I would think of what was ahead and it would send me into sort of this little bit of a panic mode. The pulse increases, the heart rate, bum, 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 bum. All of a sudden you start thinking all the things that still need to be done that you've got to do and you've only got a couple of days to do it. And that was, that was hard to deal with, you know, waking up and starting your day in that sort of mode. But I, I think that's where constantly having all these little lists, you know, I could sort of roll over and look and be like, all right, well, my list doesn't look too bad. I can definitely do this, this, and this, no big deal. And, you know, this time, even though I'm working sometimes four hours, sometimes six hours, sometimes eight hours, um, you know, I still have a little energy left over to, to take care of a few things. And like I said, I've been definitely a bit more proactive as far as, you know, trying to space out all of the provisioning and all the projects and everything and just, you know, nail off two or three things each day for the last few weeks, which has helped, uh, you know, a huge amount. And I'm still waking up. Usually I have a few minutes before I even think of anything, which I think is a good sign. And then I start to delve into what's going on. And so then, then I'm up get some coffee and then, and then bang straight into it. But you know, the tide right now is high tides around 6am. So we, we start about 5am here because we have to work around the tides to launch the boats and yada, yada. That's Maine. But you know, I, I basically get up and just start thinking of the trip, thinking of what's going, what's coming. And there's, there's definitely a lot more pitfalls I think with this trip than the last trip only because uh the the necessity of having the engine in tip top shape and running up in the arctic is is pretty spooky to me you know I I never want to have to rely on the engine I you know out in the ocean I'm happy to just float until the wind picks back up but up there that's just not an option and so been spent basically most of the winter going through it and bleeding systems and you know checking this checking that and and really it's 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 been good because i've learned a lot and about the engine and everything and troubleshooting it and stuff and i i am very lucky you know i i have it's a perkins 4108 which is it's an old engine it was rebuilt i've only put about 800 uh, hours on it and from what, uh, you know, other people who own them have always said is, you know, they leak oil like crazy, which mine for some reason doesn't, but they, they always follow that up with, you know, if you can get it started, it'll, it'll run and run and run and run and run. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. I want an engine that, you know, cause I, I pretty much know all the tricks to get this sucker started you know, in the, the heat, in the cold, with a low battery, any of that stuff. So, you know, I, I and she has, she, she runs and runs and runs, you know, I've got spare impellers, spare belts, spare this, that, and the other thing. But the, the important thing is over the last 800 hours, she, she's really run well for me. And, uh, that's, that's what I need. I need a, I need an engine that's just going to keep me going and going and going till I can get right through and uh, out into the Pacific. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a funny feeling to, to be setting off on a voyage like this. I mean, you know, staring down a, 
a year long voyage. I, there's, you know, and it, it's not even just a year long voyage. It's a, a year long voyage by myself. I think that's a, a pretty unusual thing, really. So, I don't know, trying to contemplate that, I, you know, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't really, it's, it's impossible to put into words unless you've done it before, you know, not, not a lot of people really have. And I don't know, I, I, it's something, there's just something that sparks my curiosity about it. But at the same time, it's also pretty terrifying, you know, a lot, a lot can go wrong up there and, you know, definitely have some scary, scary moments, I'm sure, but. At the same time, I mean, there's there's so much beauty out there that you will only ever see out in the ocean, and not only out in the ocean, but by yourself out in the ocean. You know, I've I've been out there with people, without people, and for sure, absolutely, hundred percent, you are far more connected to what's going on when you are out there by yourself because you hear every little noise and you feel every little wave and you see every little animal or every star, you know, you, you really sort of envelop yourself into mother nature in a lot of ways. So I am looking forward to that for sure. But, uh, at the same time, it's been foggy here for days on end. I'm not looking forward to, you know, if that continues, it's basically I will set sail from from Rockland and disappear into a cloud of fog within uh you know maybe 500 yards, and I could be in the fog for a week, you know, without break, you know, just this this abyss, this this whiteness out there. It's it's pretty scary, especially at night. You know, there are a lot of fishing boats and things like that. You know, with the technology, AIS and, and radar, it's it's safer than it used to be. But, man, even when we were coming up, we uh, got off of Cape Cod and the fog rolled in. And, boy, it was just thick. You couldn't see a thing. And, I, you know, I don't have radar, but, you know, we put the radar reflector up. I've got the AIS so I could see what boats were out there. But still, you know, there's you, you let your mind creep into that feeling of, oh, what's out there? Something's out there. I, sw- I know something's out there. I'm going to hit something. And then all of a sudden you're like in panic mode and you're squinting as hard as you can trying to stare through this this blanket of fog and does nothing but just makes you worry. You just got to sort of accept your situation. But who knows? Who knows? So... Boy, this boat has a lot of food on it. I still have a couple of, couple of big uh, tubs of food that I haven't haven't quite figured out where I'm going to put. But I don't know. We'll see. Eventually, it's going to find its way into some little hole somewhere. But yeah. So anyway, that's that's going to be the first one. I'm just going to keep this at a half an hour, just because I figure this will be sort of like a supplement, and a little intro, or whatever. But. You know, I, I don't know how this is gonna go. I'm I'm I've always sort of figured with this stuff, with YouTube, with all that sort of stuff, is just make the content and put it out there because you know I, I know a lot of people have enjoyed it and uh, people enjoyed reading the book and everything and so 
hey, you know, if uh, if I can help you discover something like uh, solo ocean sailing, then that's fantastic. And if it's something that you delve into yourself, great. And if it's just something you like to read about and it makes you uh, wonder a little bit, that's that's great as well. So hopefully, hopefully, um, it's not too too monotonous and boring for you, but. We're gonna we're gonna get into it over the next uh, bunch of months. So buckle up, cause it's gonna be a bumpy ride. This is Jerome Rand checking out. This is June June thirtieth, two thousand twenty. About one week out from departure on what I call American Salt trip around the Americas through the Northwest Passage. Wow, I gotta say that's pretty crazy to listen to, you know, after after being able to look back on it, knowing, you know, how everything played out. But just listening to myself sort of pre pre trip, still have like two weeks to go before I leave and just all the prep that goes into this sort of thing. It's crazy, crazy to listen to that. But yeah, I mean I, I was uh, heavily overworked at that point but excited and and ready to go and I think you can really feel it in that uh in that little session right there so we'll go on to uh a little little later on here we go all right everybody we're live here on the mighty sparrow uh just launched fresh bottom paint job everything ready to go and departing for the trip dubbed American Salt in uh, less than 48 hours. So today's Friday, July 10th, and I'm taking off, setting sail on the 12th, so this Sunday. And sort of just been going through all the last-minute preparations and all that sort of stuff uh, before, you know, heading out to sea for almost a year. And... It's been pretty hectic for sure. It's uh, it's kind of hard to describe, you know, everything that that we've had to go through or I've had to go through to get to this point. But I'll tell you, it's it's time for uh, a nice celebratory drink and um, you know to relax a little bit tonight. Tomorrow will be my big day of you know final little prep, last minute things. Luckily. I got, I got, you know, the list has been whittled down because originally I was supposed to leave on Thursday, but with this little tropical depression or whatever, it's coming up the coast. I've been able to, you know, postpone for a few days. So it was almost, uh, almost like a little gift from the gods, uh, to, to give me a little bit more time, but, you know, also be ready to go. So it almost, when I think about it now, you know, if I was ever to set off on another big sea voyage, I'd probably, you know, do do like a little false start just so that, you know, I have to get the boat pretty much 100% ready. And then you don't actually go, you give yourself a couple more days. And then all of a sudden, you know, all those things that you're like, oh, yeah, shoot, and I forgot that, that all uh, sort of comes out. And, and on all of a sudden, you know, you're you're way more ready, so... But yeah, today we, we launched the boat and put it in. I'm up here in Rockland, Maine, a little place called Knights Marine. And um, great, great little boatyard. Let you do all your own work and everything. And 
I don't know. I was kind of worried about it, to tell you the truth, because I've added so much weight in food and fuel and water and all that stuff that I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, we jokingly said, I wonder if it's going to float. But, um, you know, I knew I knew the water line was going to be a little different this time. So, you know, put her in the water, checked it out, and at least it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I was able to motor for just a little bit. And, um, you know, doing, doing four knots with my normal RPM. So it, it doesn't seem to have, uh, screwed up the speed or anything like that and maneuverability, but yeah, I mean, the weeks sort of leading up to this point have, have definitely been pretty hectic. Uh, but, you know, learning from how I did my last trip and the preparations there, I I definitely think this one was was above and beyond. Ah, delicious. It um you know, I I was able to take my time with stuff and and I guess partition it out or spread it out. Uh instead of going to the grocery just a couple times, I went, you know, like 15 times or 20 times and that definitely made it a lot easier and and took a lot of the pressure off. So even though this was a very quick turnaround because, you know, the Canadian government didn't give me permission to go through the Arctic until almost like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, maybe. And, you know, uh, I had been prepping the boat for sure, but, you know, you don't, you don't go and spend all your money and buy all the food until you know you can do it. So, you know, it was like my Amazon account was just going bananas, but, um, at this point, yeah, it's uh, I have way more food than I I need. Um, you know, I uh, the fuel, the fuel bladder. Holy cow! Like so, I have a two hundred gallon fuel bladder on board, and the the boat normally carries uh, seventy gallons in two tanks, so two thirty five gallon tanks, and then you know I typically take a, a two or three little five gallon jerry cans, uh, but to get through the Northwest Passage. It's going to be motoring for, you know, it could be up to, you know, 500 hours. It could be a long, long time motoring, you know, 1,500 miles, even more. So, luckily, this boat came with a 50-horsepower engine, which is, you know, bigger than standard, almost double. Usually, they came with, like, 36 horsepower or something like that. And uh, that allows me to motor at the hull speed uh, only doing like a 900 or a thousand RPMs, which cuts down the, the, you know, the fuel intake or fuel usage by just a huge amount. So I'm, you know, barely having to really rev the engine. So I, I typically get two hours out of every gallon of fuel. And in two hours, I can typically do eight, eight to 10 knots. And so basically, you know, if I have 250 gallons on board, which is what I'm setting out with, then I should have 500 hours of, of engine running time, you know, at, at cruising speed. So should be pretty good. But so there's this, there's this giant bag of fuel. So I, I thought about getting oil drums and all these other things and little, you know, jerry cans and all that stuff, but 
when I looked at it and added up the numbers and looked at the volume of, of the area that I had, the only way that I could, you know, efficiently do this was with a big fuel bladder. So it's a big plastic rubber, you know, bag basically. And luckily it's diesel fuel. So there's no vapors, there's no expansion, any of that sort of stuff. So you put it in there and cap it off and it's good. And what I'll do is, is, you know, as, as my primary fuel tanks run out, then, you know, I fill up the jerry can and I fill them back up. So just transferring the fuel and it'll be nice to get rid of that giant bag of fuel because it's underneath my bunk. So I put it on the cabin sole. So the floor of the boat right in between my bunk and the big shelving unit that I made to store all the food and gear and stuff. And you know, before it was always wide open because the last trip I didn't need fuel. I didn't need my engine. You know, I could have, I could have done without the whole thing, but this trip to get through the Northwest Passage, I need it. And luckily that'll be right in the beginning. I've got about a month of sailing, you know, out past Newfoundland and then into the Labrador Sea and then the Davis Strait along Greenland. And then I'm in the passage. So Hopefully I don't get my teeth knocked in too hard out there because the last thing I want is a big bag of diesel, you know, getting flung all over the cabin. But if I can get up there and then start burning it, then should be should be pretty good. But just, just filling it, I mean, it was a big question mark. I actually, I I purchased it, you know, pretty much right after the Canadians gave me permission. And it comes with this big bag, weighs like 30, 40 pounds. And I sort of unfold it, and it doesn't fit. And it's like, holy smokes, what am I going to do with this thing? And I just sort of let it sit. And I sat, it sat in its, its box up there on the uh, in the cockpit for weeks. Enough so that when I did finally move it, you know, the imprint of the packing labels and stuff is now on the vinyl cushions uh, in the cockpit. So it's probably permanent, but... Um, the fuel guys come in a truck and I wanted to do it while I was on land. So if there were any problems, you know, we'd be able to deal with it and everything. And, uh, yeah, I was able to in that it's a 200 gallon capacity fuel bladder and I was able to put 170 gallons or maybe a little more into just that. So that was above my expectations. So I got 170 in there and then 70 in the tanks and then I'm taking three five gallon jerry cans so pretty pretty good number uh just over what i was i was looking to get and uh and it it all fits and so i built my bunk over the top of the fuel bladder and so now instead of having i guess a a twin size bed or something like that um now it's more like a queen size or even bigger so the cool part is you know no longer I, I can sleep at any angle or you know anything that I want and that that definitely helps because you want to make sure you're as comfortable as possible and I know this boat before with the lee board and and all that sort of the lee cloth like if I was on a port tack it was just a pain I was never comfortable I felt like I was hanging in the air and all that sort of stuff and when the boat tilts when it's heeled over it just makes it even worse so this time I should be able to sort of snuggle up against either the side of the boat or, you know, the side of the shelving unit. So it's sort of like a hard surface that you can wedge yourself in, which is always pretty nice. But, um, 
yeah, so fuel's on board, food's on board. I have just so much food. Got all the booze. You know, you got to have your, your cocktail, cocktail hour, your sundowner, you know, one, possibly two, depending on the weather. But, uh, you know, come sunset time, it's, it's something you get to look forward to. And so, you know, if I'm going to be out there for 360 days, 400 days, you know, it may sound crazy, but, you know, I have, I have like, I think 15 gallons of alcohol on board. So, you know, don't judge me, but it is, uh, it is something you want to have. And if you're out there for that long, you know, I challenge anybody to, uh, to, you know, write down all the alcohol that they purchase over an entire year and then take a look at it and, and then, then come talk to me. <laughs> so I don't know, but this, this is going to be sort of the, the second or, well, it's the second podcast that I'm doing, but it's the last, last one on land. So everything after this is going to be out on the boat under sail and I don't know exactly how the microphone's going to do picking up noises and things like that but I figure that's part of it anyway so you know if I'm hearing it you guys should probably hear it so yeah that should be all right but yeah other than that I'm definitely a little bit tired uh you know working at the boat yard and then going and working on the boat and then also trying to you know hang out and sort of enjoy life a little bit before I leave, you know, that's, that's definitely one of those important things, you know, can't stay so focused or I try not to stay so focused that, you know, you sort of let life pass you by. And so try and fit everything in, but boy, it is in some ways you just feel like you're burning the candle at both ends. But we launched, we launched our last boats for the yard today and then we launched mine. And so I'm officially off the clock paid my yard bill uh and yeah pretty much um now it's it's 100 into the trip trying to get all the platforms and all that sort of stuff sorted out but um yeah it's it's uh it's been absolutely amazing and i i'm i'm always reminded and and randall reeves the guy who did the figure eight uh who sort of set down the course you know, he was reminding me that, you know, the days leading up to the trip are always typically the hardest and most discouraging because there's just so many things. But, you know, once you do get out to sea, then all of a sudden it uh, everything everything comes back into focus. So really hoping for that. <laughs> and the weather looks pretty good for at least the first week or so. And uh and yeah, that's that's basically it. But um, you know, as far as the provisioning and everything, because I did want to get into that, you know, in this this episode a little bit, because it is, I, I I always get asked about, you know, how how do you grocery shop for a year, you know, in in one shot, and you know, basically my thinking on this trip, and and this sort of is born from you know running out of food on the last trip and and doing all that. So the last trip. I started to realize that I was running out of out of food or getting low when I was south of Australia, you know, maybe 100 and 120, 150 days into the trip, I sort of started taking stock and realizing that, you know, I was it was going to get a little low. And basically the big problem was is that I I didn't look at calories, I didn't look at 
you know, um, serving size or anything. I just, I saw servings and I thought that's a meal. So, you know, if I had a can of dehydrated food that said 10 servings, I was like, oh, that's 10 meals. And I was just counting meals. And when reality sort of set in, it was more like three meals or sorry, three servings was one meal. So I was grossly under provisioned for the last trip. And and really, you know, I had a lot of things um, like rice and pancake mix and simple, inexpensive oatmeal, things like that, that, you know, you can pick up for next to nothing at a grocery store. I only had a few of each of those, which is just ridiculous. So this trip has been totally different. Mm. This trip... Basically, what I did was bulk way up on the staples. So I have, I don't know, like 20, 30 pounds of rice. I don't know how many things of oatmeal I have. I could actually look at the list, but tons and tons of oatmeal. Tons of jars of peanut butter. Um, what's the other big staple? Oh, geez, shoot. I'm trying to think. Oh, pancake mix. Because pancake mix, especially in the high latitudes when it's cold out, because... You know, Mighty Sparrow doesn't have a heater on board, but uh, you turn that stove on and you make, you know, three or four pancakes with a bunch of syrup and stuff. Oh, not only does it taste great, and it's sort of a different texture than some sort of noodle or rice dish, but it's also, it warms up the cabin because you're basically heating that stove up. And so, it's, you know, it's killing two birds with one stone and man you know i had two boxes of bisquick on the last trip went through them pretty fast uh, but one of them was sort of the last food that i was eating and i just remember thinking geez i you know i could have i could have had pounds and pounds of this stuff and so that's what i did and i found these huge bags of pre-mixed pancake stuff all you gotta do is add water each bag i think says makes 120 pancakes and i think i have five bags of those so do the math i can make almost 600 pancakes which is huge um whether they're silver dollars or, or real flapjacks i don't know but regardless that's a huge amount of, of food there. So that, the other big thing is Kind Bars. Uh, a little shout out to Kind Bars because they are delicious treats and they have a lot of calories. Each one of those bars, you know, typically they're between like 190 and 280 calories. And I think I have just under 800 of those because I wanted to get to, to be able to have two of them each day. And... Um, you know, that, that works out just about perfect because that's a, that's a nice chunk of calories. You know, you get like 500 calories or whatever, just from that alone. And then, you know, you're throwing the other stuff on top. So, but I do have tons of cans. I don't know how many I'd have to look at the list and stuff, but cans of fruit, cans of vegetables, cans of like Chef Boyardee, clam chowder, beef stew, all that sort of stuff, spam, Tons and tons of canned stuff, and that's primarily what I'm going to be eating uh, during the Northwest Passage. So, super easy to heat. 
Um, doesn't take any water to make it, all that sort of stuff. And that way, because right now, one of the concerns with the water is that all my water tanks or, or the two main tanks are underneath my fuel bladder. So I can't access them until the fuel bladder is either tiny enough or it's empty. So I'm going to try to use as little of that as possible and, you know, just use the, the gallon jugs that I have first then get into, um, you know, the, the five gallon jerry cans under the bed. But again, I have to sort of take things apart to get to that. But I just basically, you know, I want to use as little water in the beginning as possible and also eat as much of the weight as I possibly can as well, because lightening the boat up is going to be a pretty big, uh, pretty big aspect to make sure I get good speed all the way down the Pacific and all that. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, we try and think about all the different, you know, possibilities and, and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, once, once I do go through all the canned food, then then it's going to be on to, you know, mountain house dehydrated stuff, long life food, like prepper sort of food, which I can't imagine that stuff's going to taste any good. But, you know, at the same time, after being out at sea for a long time, probably will taste pretty decent. And, you know, in the Pacific and in the Atlantic, I'll be able to do some fishing and, and add that in. And, you know, that'll be some fresh food, but... One of the biggest things, biggest differences from the last trip is that I have a bunch of that powdered vegetable, you know, extract. And I think I have, I want to say like 200 day supply of it or something. And so I figure, you know, every other day I'll mix up one of those green, green little shakes sort of thing and uh, chug that down and that will definitely help. And then obviously vitamins and things, but you know, those those are the things that I didn't have on the first trip. You know, I didn't know about them, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's it should make a pretty drastic difference, not only to, you know, how I feel, but, you know, just my health and stuff. And, you know, because all this processed food definitely can't be good for me. I mean, jeez. It's a long time to be living off of, like, highly processed food. Well, it's raining, raining again, foggy all day, raining. Uh, good old Maine, gotta love it. But uh, other than that, though, just a few other like technical things. So um, during the Arctic, uh, the ice guru named Victor is going to be sort of guiding me and sending me a lot of the updated ice charts. Um, through the passage and such. So on this trip, a little different, I actually have a email account through what's called Xgate, which allows me to use the sat phone through the computer and, and receive emails and, and be able to download attachments and such, which is definitely different than the last trip. Never did anything like that and was able to sort it all out. Seems pretty easy. And uh, just uses data, so or it uses minutes basically off of the sat phone. So 
not a huge crazy expense doesn't take too long um i'm hoping that you know out at sea when the boat's rolling around and everything it won't be too much of a challenge but that's pretty cool i only had to do it for a few months because once i get out of the arctic then i don't have to do that sort of stuff because you know i don't know one of, one of the nice parts about being out there is to sort of run away from having to do emails and things like that so it'll it'll be kind of nice i don't mind doing the texting you know my update uh, for reports and daily daily positions and stuff so i don't mind that but like actually physically writing an email and then downloading stuff i don't know something about that just doesn't seem right so uh, but I have my, my computer, my laptop, and then I've also got my old one. Um, so we're, we're looking pretty good as far as prep. I mean, the old computer was the, the spare on my first trip after my, my old, old one broke. So I'm pretty much, that one has duct tape on it. So I'm expecting that one to break eventually. And then this computer to become, you know, the one that gets me through. Um, I got charts on this one and then, you know, charts on the iPad. It's like, it's like backup after backup after backup. So just trying to really cover all my bases because um, it's not it's not open ocean sailing. This is this is going to be a whole different realm. So we'll, we'll just have to I just want to be as ready or overly prepared as I possibly can be. But uh, having a few problems with the AIS, the automatic identification system that sends and receives, you know, your position to other ships. Apparently, I possibly might not be transmitting my position, but I can see all the other boats. So have to take a look into that tomorrow. I have a spare one of those on board. Um, so it may be, you know, one of those things where I have to switch it out, but. We'll have to see. Paper charts, I've got, you know, all the big ones. Uh, I couldn't afford, you know, to go and buy 50 or 100 charts of all the little places that I might pass and might need to stop. So just got to play that by ear again like I did last time. And uh, even though it was pretty difficult to sail into Port Stanley in the Falklands uh, blind, at least I have that chart now, so... <laughs> If I do have to do that again, I'll be a little better prepared. But yeah, I don't know. Other than that, it's I think we're I think we're pretty good. I got a few hooks, some leads, a bunch of line, can do my fishing, got all the fuel, got all the food. I don't have a ton of snacks. You know, I broke down and bought like four bags of, you know, mini sized uh, you know, candy bars and stuff, because Again, you know, going through the Arctic, I'm just going to need any, any little bit of encouragement I can get. You know, I, I ideally, I always try and head out uh, a little more health conscious. Uh, you know, I'll be like, ah, I don't need any of that. No candy this trip. But, you know, you get out there. If you don't have it, you're sort of, you do kind of miss it a little. So we'll have to see how that goes. But I don't have a ton of it, and in the past, I'm pretty terrible about, you know, trying to control myself from eating all of the good, tasty treats quickly, but, uh, and on that note, my, my brothers and my sister sent me uh, a 12-pack of canned bacon, 
which is going to be interesting. From what I understand, it tastes delicious. You just throw it in the old skillet. It's pre-cooked, but you warm it up, and you wouldn't even know you're eating canned bacon. But um, So I've got that, 12 of them. And if I'm out there for a whole year, it's going to be sort of, maybe that'll be the, the monthly celebration, you know, open up a can of bacon and eat eat all of it. So we'll have to sort of see how that goes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I'm just, I had some pretty crazy dreams last night and uh, I took a little napper today before I did the boat launch and again yeah just sort of anxious anxious dreams because yeah I mean you know what I'm about to jump into is completely foreign ice and all that's cold temperatures all that I don't know but it's it's one of those things it's that you have to go through that to get to the Pacific and you know, I, I think I think when I start doubting it, uh, one of the sort of rewards, I guess, or the goal, really, is yeah, you get you get to the Pacific, you get south of Hawaii, the temperatures warm up, trade winds fill in, sailing becomes easy and friendly and nice, and the only thing that makes that time better is if you've had to go through you know hell and back to get to it and that's something that i discovered on that last trip that you know has has really made a a big impact on on the decisions i make and and how i try and you know take this walk through life and it is it's one of those uh you know it's not like i want to sit there and just suffer for 90 years so that you know my last my last year on earth is the greatest thing ever because i'm no longer suffering so there's a balance but i don't know there is something about oh old ais see i'm picking them up i don't know if they're picking me up uh gotta gotta sort that out but yeah it's just i don't know there is something about it you know you 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 battle your way through like a big storm and then when the seas calm back down and the winds are eased up it's wonderful it's this whole brand new beautiful thing but if the winds are always good and the seas are always calm it becomes just normal and and then you just sort of take it for granted i don't know but where you know the the hard thing for me is trying to figure out where where that balance is because again you can't it's not like you can just sit there and punish yourself all day long you know punish yourself for six days so that the seventh day is is awesome because you're not being punished, you know. I don't know. I guess that's one of life's little mysteries. But, um, so, I don't know. Other than that, um, that's pretty much it for for this podcast. Again, you know, these these are probably going to be supplementary because they're before the trip and everything, and they're a little short. I'm going to try... When uh, when I'm actually out there on the water and moving to do, you know, hour-long podcasts or, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes is my sort of, my little zone and I'll just put out two in a row sort of thing. Who knows? But hope you guys enjoy it and, um, yeah, have a, have a good night. Try and enjoy things. I know the world's a pretty messed up place right now, but uh, if there's anything in it that you can find a little bit of happiness in, then focus on that. All right. Checking out from Mighty Sparrow.
All right. Well, there you have it. There's uh, the first couple of couple of podcasts uh, all taking place either on land or tied to a dock. And I take off just a couple days after that. So all the rest of the episodes are going to take place out on the water and they'll be about 45 minutes long or so. So tune in if you enjoy those. Um, if you do want to learn uh, any more about my first voyage, uh, the book Sailing into Oblivion is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook form. So check that out. It's a pretty fun read. People seem to really enjoy it. Other than that, thanks for tuning in and have a great day.